Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. When was the last time you had to wait? Had to wait. We don't have to wait very often uh, today, do we? we? We've always got something to occupy our time. How did you pass that time? Maybe you took a number and you stood in line at the DMV. Or maybe you were driving down the road and waiting to get around that slowpoke in front of you, right? Maybe you were in the midst of a decision and that season of your life was waiting Felt like a waiting time for you. How do you pass the time? And is there any value that waiting adds to your life? Probably not. In our day and time, and the pace and the rhythm of life with which we live, we don't think of waiting as adding value to life. But I want you to see today that waiting holds the greatest value for your life. Turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 before we continue with our message. John writes, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. This is Jesus speaking. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. There are many ways to wait. Many different situations that demand our waiting, circumstances of life. And and it's important for us as Christians to learn the value of practicing and, shall we say, abiding in our life. And I want you to see today that Christians abide in Jesus as our source of life to bear fruit and glorify God. 
And I want us to talk about four different ways that abiding actually sources this life of bearing fruit and glorifying God. But before I get there, I just want to talk for a moment about this word that he's using here that he translates abide. It's a word that, that's used 118 times in the original Greek language in the New Testament. 67 of those times are uses by John, the writer of the book here. This is a major theme for John. And this word can mean to wait or to remain or to abide or even just to stand. But, but the, the essence of its meaning is, is waiting, basically. And as I, I've learned in my life, seasons, periods, and opportunities of waiting for the Christian are anything but times of stagnation or paralyzing. Rather, God designs that they be times for us of sourcing us. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here. He's teaching us the value of abiding for Christ followers in order to understand it as an essential practice of life. Jesus presents abide, excuse me, John the writer presents abide as Jesus' central teaching in our relationship with him. As I said, he uses it 67 times. And in these 11 verses that we just read, he uses the word 10 times. Anytime you're reading scripture, and there is a word that is repeated like this continually, it rises to the top as a central focus point of what is being said. Understanding that word gives greater understanding to what is being communicated through the word or what the teaching of the word is all about. Let me ask you this. Would you be willing to wait if it added value to your life? Let's talk about that because I want you to see today four ways that abide sources our life as Christians and we see them in these verses. The first way that abide sources our life as a Christian is that it keeps the Christian in the will of God for intimate communion. Abide keeps the Christian in the will of God for intimate communion. What John begins is he begins in the first four verses of chapter 15 by emphasizing the role and the relationship of God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. He introduced the Holy Spirit to us at the end of chapter 14. And so we have all three persons of the triune God. But because Jesus has not been crucified yet and the full age of the Holy Spirit has not been ushered in as of yet and will not be until after the resurrection and the ascension, he's still teaching forward truths in reality but that are not yet completed yet. And so what he's teaching them is how the role of, of God the Father and God the Son work together. And his words and his works, he has said, are not his alone, but they're the Father's. For what he does and what he says are the same work that the Father has said and taught and done all throughout history. And what he says here is that abiding in him, abiding in Jesus, brings the Christian's life into direct communion with God. Now, the, the important part of this is this. That Jesus isn't another step to get us closer to God. 
that Jesus isn't just something we do in order to, to knock off one more task on our to-do list or, or to get us one rung higher to God, but rather being with Jesus is the same as being with God. Christians are brought into the will of God for intimate communion through Jesus. That's the will of God for our life. And so he explains the roles of the triune God. And how does he do that? He uses this imagery of a vine and a vine dresser. And he says that that I am the true vine. In other words, there's not another vine that does what I do. There's not another vine that brings life that I bring. And so Jesus is the vine that sources the life that connects us with God. And he gives life to each branch that is connected to him. And God, the Father, is the vine dresser. And and here's what God the Father does as the vine dresser. We learn in other parts of Scripture that, that God the Father grafts us in. Now, the grafting process is not one that I can fully explain to you. It is true, as some of you are aware, that I own a vineyard. <clears throat> for those of you who don't know me, it's a single grapevine that I have a vision for, okay? And some people make fun of me for that, for calling it a vineyard, but I have a vision. <clears throat> But when you think about gardening, when you think about farming, this is the imagery that that John is using here in Jesus' teaching. And he tells us that, that God grafts us in. So when you graft in, you take a branch from one and you actually bring it together with the other. And, and not just duct tape. God doesn't work with duct tape, Okay. Duct tape is good stuff. I mean, I'm a redneck. I understand the value of duct tape. But God doesn't work with duct tape. God grafts you in to where you literally become part of the vine itself as a branch. And so the nutrients, the life that you receive is sourced directly from the vine. And he grafts us in, but he not only grafts us in through Jesus, he also dresses the vine as he wills the most intimate communion with God friends listen to this is not only to know what he's doing not only to be able to see the work of God but to understand his will in all things isn't that what you want to know God what's your will for my life and that's what he says he's wanting to give to you through Jesus is an intimate communion of understanding His will. God brings the Christian into intimate communion with Him through Jesus to align us with Him by the understanding of His will. Jesus reveals God's will in these verses. And God's will, verse 4 tells us, is for every Christian to bear fruit every Christian, to bear fruit for God's glory. You see, Jesus in verse 3 is speaking specifically to those whom he's identified as Christians, who we would understand as Christians. 
This doesn't mean that a person who's not believed in Christ, who who has not become a Christian, can't benefit from these verses. But what he's doing is he's talking about how God relates and how God works in the life of those who have placed their faith in him and whose life is being sourced in them. And that's important for us to understand because otherwise if we apply some of these verses to non-Christians, it may have an essence of truth. But, but it, it, it's more bad news than good. And the gospel, it, it begins with bad news, but it always culminates with good news. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I just want you to know all of what we talk about can be true for your life today, but it will only be true if you repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are here today who are Christians He's speaking specifically to you about what it means to know God and to know God's will. That's what he says in verse 3. You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. In other words, the word has washed you, made you clean. He teaches two truths regarding living in God's will. And here's the first one, that God carries out his will in our life by personal involvement. You ever wonder how it is that God works in our life? He's carrying out his will by personal involvement. God doesn't send his A team or his B team. He comes himself and he continually cares for the vine to bear fruit for his glory. Listen to me, friends. What God is doing in your life today is not some subsidiary work that he's going to somehow swing around and work it all out for your good because he wasn't there when it happened. No, it is a direct line to what he's doing in your life. His will is being worked out because he is the one, him personally, who works in your life to bring about his will. And that's what John is showing us that Jesus is teaching to us. God continually cares himself as the vine dresser for the vine to bear fruit, every branch for his glory. And here's the second truth he tells us about living in God's will. Every branch gets cut. Every branch gets cut. Sometimes the cut removes what is not bearing fruit. And sometimes the cut prunes that which does bear fruit so that it will bear more fruit. Now, this is not an easy teaching because, friends, both cuts serve to produce more fruit. And this can be pie-in-the-sky kind of easy, light teaching if we think about it only in theoretical terms. But when it gets personal, it gets hard, and it gets hard fast can be hard for us to accept. Abiding in Jesus, though, he begins, is where we understand God's will to trust what he's doing in our life. And that's important when you understand how difficult often understanding and accepting God's personal work in our life will often be for us. God's will is to make you more like Jesus Christ. You see, pruning is not the work that brings salvation. Let's think about God's will for our life. God doesn't save us 
by the work of pruning, but we've already seen that he's already saved us because he's speaking to Christians here. But God's work in the life of a Christian, his pruning is what sanctifies us. We need to understand what salvation is all about. And and this practice that he's introducing to us here is what we call today in theological terms or labels as progressive sanctification. It is the process of being changed into Jesus' image. And, And I want you to understand this because when we are saved, there are three aspects that the Scripture clearly teaches about salvation. In other words, when we confess our sin and repent and turn and put our trust in Jesus and trust in Him and Him alone for salvation, that moment is a moment of justification. And in that moment, friends, in the... Faster than you can imagine, in that moment, you are all you will ever need, want, and be in Christ Jesus. You are complete, and you are His. That's justification. And at the time when Jesus returns, or when Christians pass from this world into eternity through death, and we enter into the perfect presence of God, that's what Scripture refers to as our glorification. Your glorification is as sure as your justification. That, that, that they're not two separate entities, but they are ways for us to understand our salvation. And friends, here's the problem that we run into. God's not bound by time, but we are. And that's why it's so important for us to understand this because this is God's salvation working out in us over time. And the point, or the, excuse me, not the point, but the time between justification and glorification is the process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus in this life. And here's what I want you to understand about sanctification That's also hard for us to comprehend. At the moment of justification, our sanctification is immediately complete. Well, I thought you just said it's a process. It is. But that process is our understanding of God's saving work in this time frame in which we live. But friends, when when God looks at you... He sees Christ in all of his perfection and the perfect life that he lived. And I want you to understand this because it is the hope that holds us in understanding what God is doing in us. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will carry it forth to completion. God does not leave anything undone. You included, Christian. And because it is complete, Immediately, it is ongoing in this world as we are ever being changed into Jesus' likeness. Maybe you've heard the statement that God loves you where you are, but he doesn't leave you there. That is an expression of sanctification. This is God's will for your life, for every Christian, that you be conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. Progressive sanctification is the conforming process in this world, in this part of our eternal life. 
that Jesus is changing you into the likeness of his son. Oswald Chambers says of sanctification that it is more than deliverance from sin. It is the deliberate commitment of self whom God has saved to God. And catch this. And I do not care what it costs. Christian, God's will for you is the essence of Christ's nature to be perfectly formed in you through his redeeming work. That's God's will for your life. And knowing God's will is the most intimate knowledge, the most intimate communion with him. We often don't think of intimate communion with God in this way. We, we think of it as an experience or even just a knowledge or, or rather, uh, knowledge only rather, or, or maybe some kind of emotion. But, but what is intimacy? It's a shared secret, is it not? It's a knowledge that you have with another that no one else has. And what God is saying to you is that he has saved you. What he wants you to understand and to know is that when you abide in Jesus, he is deepening, he is building, he is growing, he is sweetening the intimacy that you have with him in this shared communion by his work in you. That, that's what God is doing. That, that's, that's why daily, that's why abiding, that's why wait becomes the most hopeful time in all of the Christian's life because it's not dormant and it's not stagnant. God is still working. And the more we're like Christ and we know God's will, the more intimate our communion with the Father. Abide keeps the Christian in the will of God for intimate communion. Let me give you one quick question for application here. Are you seeking to know God's will for your life or are you trusting in a false hope and a false substitute of just going to God to get an answer so you can keep doing what you want to do? And not what God wants for you. Abide keeps the Christian in God's will for increasing communion that is intimate. Jesus continues to develop his teaching in these same themes, but to show it in a different way. He moves from knowing God's will now to understanding God's work. You see, if you don't know the big picture of what God wants for you, you're never going to understand the day in and day out of what he's doing in you. That's what Jesus is saying. Verses 5 through 8, the second way that abide sources our life is that it keeps the Christian in the work of God for unlimited fruit-bearing. It keeps us in the work of God for unlimited fruit bearing. Verse 5, he continues and he re revisits this idea of I am the vine and you are the branches. And so now we've seen understanding of God's will. I am the true vine and God is the vine dresser. Now he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now he's moving into the work of God and how the vine dresser is working to bring more fruit of glory. All God's redeeming work 
that gives life flows through Jesus. That's why we say that Jesus is the only way to God. There is no life from God that comes in any other way than Jesus. And Jesus repeats that only in him is Christian life sourced. Only in Jesus is there life with God. But he adds the result of abiding for us here to deepen our understanding that when we abide, the work of God through Jesus flourishes within us for unlimited fruit bearing. That's what he's saying is that, that it's not just a measure and once it's done, you're over and, and, and good luck with this life with God and trying to measure up. No, friends, that's how sin twists and perverts our understanding of God. That's not God at all. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that from the moment of our justification, that when we by faith, repent of sin and believe in Christ. That God's already been working. We didn't know about it. But now we are aware of his working and we are understanding his will. He wants us to understand the why of his working. And so Jesus shows the result of abiding in him that the one who abides is one who bears much fruit of glory for God. And the fruit that Jesus references, it can include any way in which we bring God glory. But the specific way that Jesus is focusing on here is that internal fruit, that transformation, that changing of essence and being from within that he has given to us by cleansing us, forgiving us, and saving us, and how it is that he wants to flourish that within us so he will live it out through us. You see, friends, anyone can do good deeds to some degree, right? I heard this week, and I, we were back at my parents' house for a couple of days in Arkansas just to get a good breath of fresh air, God's air, right? And I also go down there to expand my vocabulary and to enrich my culture. And I heard one today I haven't heard in a long time. Not today. I heard one this weekend. I haven't heard in a long time, and Kristen and I got a real kick out of it. Uh, uh, we heard this statement made in reference. He said, he's got the morals of an alley cat. I thought, wow, that almost sounded like a, a compliment. And then it took a hard turn, right? I mean, like, whoo, I hope that never gets said of me. And then it was followed up, but he's a good guy. I thought you said he had the morals of an alley cat. Well, I did, but he's a good guy. Right? And, and that's how so often we try to measure the, these things. And what Jesus is saying here is that, that anyone can do some good deeds to some degree. But only Jesus produces true good and goodness in us. Because he is good. You see, fruit in the Christian's life is produced by the Holy Spirit who carries forth Jesus' work by the word in us. And Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so the fruit that Jesus is talking about of transformation within us is unpacked and explained by Paul here in Galatians 5. It's that inner transforming work that God does. 
And he gives us just this understanding of fruit bearing, first of all, just by listing the fruit. This is what they are. And when we read this list, we're tempted to pick and choose singularly. But really, the way Paul describes them is not uh, singularly, uh, excuse me, is not individually, but rather more singularly as a recipe instead of individual ingredients. In other words, what this list of spiritual fruit makes when it's all combined within us, instead of just picking and choosing the ones we're good at and making ourselves feel good about that. You see, most people can produce one or even a few of those. But what the Spirit does within us through the transforming work of God is He brings all of them together in us, who He created us to be, for glory and for fruit. What's created when they are combined is what the Spirit is working to produce. The second thing he says is not only a list of these fruit, but he says this, that one must belong to Jesus and crucify the flesh. That's what verse 24 says. It kind of is a little bit of an odd verse when he says, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Well, I thought you were talking about fruit of the Spirit. He is. And that's not just a verse that he attached onto there, but he's actually talking about how it is that that fruit gets cultivated within us. You see, one must belong to Jesus and crucify the flesh. Those aren't two different things. That one is what God does and the other is what we does do because of what God did. Belong to Jesus is only possible when we believe the gospel, when we identify with him by faith. Those who belong to him, Paul says, crucify the flesh. So he's talking to Christians just as Jesus is speaking to Christians here. And by faith, as we belong to God, his death in Jesus Christ becomes our own death. Paul states this just a few verses earlier in verse 20 of Galatians 2 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, friends, to belong to Jesus is the same as crucifying the flesh because the Spirit now rules in our life. To crucify the flesh simply means that we kill what sin conceives, what sin roots, what sin causes, what sin sources, what sin urges, and what sin impulses you see in our own strength some of us are just better alley cats than others but because of Jesus because of Jesus we've been given new life abide in Jesus keeps us crucified in his death so that his resurrection power flourishes in us. And because we've died to sin in Jesus, we've died to those sinful acts. We're crucifying those sinful deeds and those sinful attitudes that keep rearing their ugly heads. And those sin-conceived desires that are deep within us, we are killing those continually because they lie to us, they deceive us, and they seek to kill and destroy us. And those sin-rooted urges and impulse. They are forever being killed within us. And that's Jesus' very point here. 
that the only reason we can kill those and anything grow back where they were killed is because he is alive in us. It's his resurrection power that is bringing us to life because we've been grafted in to life in Christ. And until you apply the gospel to your life, you're not believing, you're withering and you're choking out this whole idea of belonging to Jesus. He can't work in you because you're not receiving his work for you. Only Jesus, by his redeeming work in the life of a Christ follower, produces spiritual fruit. And then he goes on to contrast the one who does not abide with the one who abides. And here we are, friends, back to that hard work that God is doing in us. But please hear what I am saying. For the person who doesn't abide, do you remember how I started the sermon? Most of us do not know how to wait in the practice and the rhythms of life that we keep. So if you're a Christian, as I know many of you are, this applies to us, not you, us. The person who doesn't abide shrivels at the core of their being. By denying God's redeeming work in Jesus to increase and flourish in them. You see what we forsake when we forget and neglect to abide and wait? There there may be some or much that even looks similar to spiritual fruit. You know, I, I trimmed one of my trees in the backyard a couple of months ago. And I've got these three big limbs sitting behind my house. And if you just looked at the limb and didn't see where it had been cut, you would think, well, that's just a tree limb, good as any other. But you see this spring, when dormancy breaks and life begins to come, those limbs will not bud and bloom. Why? Because there's nothing in them sourcing them. They won't produce anything. Man, they look so much like a limb. They are a limb. They're a dead limb. That there may be so much that looks similar to spiritual fruit in your life, but it's not sourced by Jesus' work within, and therefore it will not produce fruit or glory. And Jesus is teaching us, listen to me, it's not only a hard truth for us to accept, it's a hard work for us to understand. These will only be cut away and thrown into the fire because they cannot produce fruit and glory. That's God doing that work. Living disconnected from Jesus produces a withering life of spiritual atrophy and asphyxiation that cannot glorify God. But the one who abides, why? Because God's word is abiding in us. Knows no limit to what God will do. For the work of God for us in Jesus must work in us. That's sanctification before it can ever flow through us. Friends, Jesus is the only vine that sources life. Your job will never validate you. That relationship that you work so hard and give so much to make better will only destroy you. Children can't bear up under the perfect expectation that we impose on them. And our imperfect parenting will crush us. 
recreation and the things that we exhaust our life chasing after will never bear the fruit that only Jesus can if it is not connected and being sourced from Christ Himself. And these are so often the areas where we figure out our own way to do instead of letting Christ do in us. Bearing fruit by abiding in Jesus results in God's glory. We glorify God when we produce fruit from His redeeming work in us by Jesus. Abide keeps us in the work of God for unlimited fruit bearing in all of life. The third way that abide sources Not only does it show us the will of God for intimate communion, not only in abiding do we understand the work of God for unlimited fruit bearing, but this third way John teaches, or Jesus teaches in John's writing, that it keeps us in the way of God for increasing love by obedience. Listen, friends, God doesn't want you to do anything in obedience for Him. He wants you to obey through Him, out of Him. We talked about last week, love begets love. And that's God's plan, the way of God. Abiding in Jesus keeps us in His love. Jesus wants us to live in His love as He lived in the Father's love continually. Friends, God's love is not a theme park to visit when we feel we need to check out, escape, or boost ourselves. God's love in all of its fullness, it's the realm of our life source. Abiding in Jesus means to live in his love continually by obedience. And that's what he says. He says, as I've abided in the Father and the Father in me, abide in my love. So so this abiding, this waiting in Jesus is how we remain in his love in our life. And living in God's love comes by keeping his commands. We saw that at the end of chapter 14. Jesus is reminding and reinforcing us of that. You know, when we separate the commands of God from his love, when we disconnect the two and think they have nothing to do, those commands become nothing more than rigid rules. Do's and don'ts, and there is no end to the list we fill. But commandments that are disconnected, they they weigh heavy on us. They they get received harshly by us, and, and they isolate us in cold loneliness, thinking and believing things about God that are not true of God, but because we've disconnected God's word from God's love in some weird way that sin is deceiving us, We come to believe that that's what God really wants from us and for us. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's not true at all. Love that obeys dispels the cold, destroys the harshness, and it lifts the heavy burden of God's commands from our life. As God's love for you in Jesus begets love in you for him. In other words, to see, to experience, to live in that realm of God's love through Jesus Christ by abiding. It draws and it increases his love in us. And we obey because we trust him. And as we trust Him, we come to know Him more and more. And and sometimes, yes, His trust does call us to to trust in Him, even above our own knowing of Him or our, our complete understanding of what's taking place or what He's doing or even being convinced it's right. Have you ever read the Bible going, I don't even know if I agree with that. 
But one thing I do, and this is how love begets love in us. I know God loves me and I know he's for me. And what he says to me is what I want in me. So God, I'll trust you. And God says, that's all I ask. When God's love consumes us, we trust Jesus to obey because who he is. We know him. Until you've obeyed Jesus' commands, he, he can't become the source of your life, friends. You, you choke off that source. The reason God's commands confront us and, and identify or address the ways that we're living that are not in alignment with His will or His way and that, 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 that do things in us that we don't like is because we fail to believe and trust because we're substituting our own way and usually in those very areas of our life. We're using those things, that relationship, that job, that situation, that circumstance, whatever. We're using them to try to be God for us. Try to get from them what only God can give. And that's Jesus' point here. How often we want to know God's will to go live it. But that's not God's covenant plan. God doesn't want you doing for him. He wants you surrendering so he can do in you and through you. What God is doing is so much greater and larger than our life. One theologian says it this way. At any given instant of your life, God's doing 10,000 things for his glory to bear fruit. And you're aware of one of them. (laughs) That's right. That's right. But when our vision and view of God shrinks, we'll think that one isn't something he alone could accomplish. Therefore, we're going to have to do it ourselves. God's way seems harder. It seems scarier. It's, it is because it's, it's beyond our ability. It's often beyond our understanding and, and often even beyond our desire. But hear me, friends. God wastes nothing. There is no refuse in the work and the will and the way of God. Every cut he makes is a cut to bring greater glory and more fruit. And that means greater joy and love for you. But until you understand that, you won't believe it. And until you learn to live in God's love, you won't accept it. The way of God always builds and grows intimacy in our relationship with him. Why? Because we learn a little more about him and his work in our life. Shared secret, intimacy. The more I've trusted and followed Jesus in my life. And see, some of you think that this has always been me. He's always been a preacher. I've always talked a lot. Deportment was never, actually it was my strong stronghold, not my strong suit. But friends, that alley cat I mentioned earlier was a step up from the life that I lived. You'd rather have him around than me. The more I look back and trusting and following Jesus, there have been plenty of times when I've said, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's good, and I don't want that. But I'll do this because I do believe what you want for me. And I've looked back on his guiding truth in my life. It reminds me of one great thing. 
a great love that I did not deserve, that I did nothing to earn, but he poured out on me in a measure I've never and could never be worthy of. And even greater praise comes and hope in him. That's true for our church too, friends. And it'll be true for you in the way of God working in you. God's way is that he leads by his love. Jesus' command lead to a deeper understanding and experience and even expression of his love in our life. God's way of love leads in the rhythm and the practice of relationship that he might build intimacy with us. Abiding in Jesus keeps the Christian in the way of God for increasing love by obedience. The fourth way that abides sources this life is that it keeps the Christian in the want of God for overflowing joy. Do you ever wonder what God wants from you? I don't mean understanding His will. But I mean even beyond will. God, what's your end game here? I know what your will is for my life, but why? Why? Would you believe me if I told you that God's want for you is a greater form of your want? You see, God knows how He created you, and only He can satisfy you. God wants the joy of abundant life, of knowing Jesus, to fill you, to overflow. And that's what He says, spiritual fruit produces an increasing joy that fills to overflowing your life. But how often we settle for an underjoyed satisfaction. We replace true joy with false joys or joy substitutes or other things that we think will be better. We know what joy in Christ is so often, but we're not full with it. And you know why? Here's what God says. Too many attached dead limbs that look real, but are that just sucking the life right out of you. You know what God wants to do? He wants to bring greater fruit in your life. The more you focus on the cut, the more you're going to be hesitant to let God do his work. The more you focus on love and who God really is and what he wants for you, the more you're going to say like Oswald Chambers, and I am glad for him to dress this life. Joy overflows from our life. When we trust Jesus to source a life that honors Him. And abiding in Him is our unlimited source of overflowing joy. Friends, this is what God wants for you. Christian, is there any good value of waiting in your life? I say there absolutely is. There absolutely is. And it awaits you in Christ. Let's pray.